Imperial Media presents The Brooke Taylor Show Encounter, Adventure, Evangelize And now your host, Brooke Taylor Hello, hello, and welcome to the program My name is Brooke Taylor Thank you for being a part of the show And today's program is brought to you by our sponsor Select International Tours This is a very special episode But also a really, really challenging show to put together Because we are just coming off a truly remarkable weekend Arise 2021 Now in the books 45 women hailing from New York, South Carolina, Oklahoma, San Diego, California. I'm waving to you, Lorraine. I think she was our furthest attendee coming from San Diego and meeting in Cleveland, Ohio for a weekend of intense prayer healing, fellowship, growth. So because this episode is also a radio broadcast, I have a limited amount of time to just unpack something that I myself am still trying to process. So that's where the challenge comes in on today's show. But thankfully, I have some help. I am leaving that to our retreat master, Father Joseph Tuscan, and also grief specialist and my friend. So you'll hear our conversation from the retreat house in just a few minutes. But before that, I just have a few thank yous. I really want to thank our our attendees who gave their yes, because we have had a bumpy last year and for a lot of people still trying to get our footing. And so it takes an act of faith to step out and spend the weekend and to get out for something like this again with a group of people from all over. But you could feel what a healing balm it was from the very beginning. People so excited to be there. And that was the way it was the entire weekend. And so I'm just so thankful for the yes of our retreatants. And I also need to thank the St. John Birchman's Ultra Server Society in Cleveland. We were very blessed on Sunday to have a solemn High Mass in the Extraordinary Form, Latin Mass on Divine Mercy Sunday or Low Sunday or Whit Sunday. And this was a massive effort. But I was able to connect with Mr. Ray Stadnick from the Altar Server Society, and he handled everything from the altar cloths to the candlesticks to the servers. They even brought gorgeous flowers in. So we had the most incredible experience for most of our attendees. I think this was the very first time ever attending a Latin Mass. So I want to thank our servers because these six gentlemen came in on a Sunday to the retreat house filled with ladies and it was such a wonderful sight. So I have everyone's name and I have their list. I want to thank Charlie and John Hannon and Joe Hip and Chris Karam, Thomas, all led by the poised and professional Paul Natnowski and just so thankful for their presence. And I do, by the way, have a photo album, not only of the Latin Mass, which I think is a must-see, it's really beautiful, but also the entire weekend. And you can see that on my Facebook page at Brooke Taylor and the pictures posted there, but it was absolutely beautiful. And also a big thank you to the daughters of St. Mary Press for providing veils for all of our retreatants and attendants, PrayingLatin.com, for providing missiles for every woman. They receive that in their goodie bag so they get to keep that. And also, Father Tuscan was kind enough to do a really beautiful teaching on the history and the function of the Latin Mass. And even if it's something you're familiar with, man, was it helpful and so eye-opening. And that was just honestly one part of the entire weekend. So full, so wonderful. So 
let's go into that now to the degree that we're able and enfold you into the experience. So we're at the retreat center sitting adjacent to the kitchen, my little recorder there, my conversation now with Father Tuscan and Linda Isaiah. Take a listen. Tremendously honored to be joined by two sterling, saintly speakers, holy, called anointed in different ways, which is one of the many things I often marvel at in the body of Christ, the diversity of gifts, the potency of those gifts. When we allow, as St. Teresa of Calcutta says, allow God to have his way with us, even without consulting us. And what can happen, the fruit of that? The two that I'm speaking of right now is our retreat master for Arise. Currently, where we are right now as I record this, Father Joseph Tuscan, a Capuchin Franciscan. Welcome, Father. Thank you very much, Brooke. And my sister in Christ and friend of the show, Pastor Linda Isaiah. Hello. Hello, everybody. Welcome to you both. This morning at breakfast, I was sharing that even though we are here at the Jesuit Retreat Center, in many ways, this was a Bethany for us, a place where Jesus went to a grieving Mary and Martha and raised Lazarus from the dead. The name of this retreat is Arise. The date of the retreat, Divine Mercy Weekend. Christ has risen. We too are called to rise anew, to take off the grave clothes here this weekend. This would not be possible without the work of the two of you, the sacraments that we had access to and received, the seeds planted. So I just want to bring our listeners into this experience to the degree that we can and focus on the two things that you emphasize, the both of you and the area of of your expertise. Father Tuscan, yesterday you talked about healing and the path to true holiness. I said, what are you going to give a session about? And you said, this was it. Why did you select that topic? I think we're obviously going through a really traumatic period, not only with the pandemic and all the trauma that not only our country, but the whole world has been through in the last year. And it's also revealed a lot of division within the country uh, among people, uh, not just related to politics. And so I think there's a lot of suffering and there is a lot of need for healing. And you said something that I wrote down in your talk, Father. You said, when we refuse to forgive people, they become our masters. And if your ability to forgive depends on the other person, you are sunk. It's these phrases that you say that hit us right between the eyes that we really need to hear, that we're convicted about. You told a powerful story about the Franciscan martyrs of Auschwitz, how they discovered at one point that they they could not concentrate on just the horrific injustices that were happening all around them in their situation. Otherwise, their mind would be occupied by the total darkness. And going back to what you said, that their captors would become their masters, not only of just their physical body, but of their mind and soul too. And so they had to replace their thoughts with something else entirely. Tell us what they did. So this is a story of some Capuchin friars that were held prisoner by the Nazi government at the infamous concentration camp of Auschwitz. And the Nazis had actually killed a group of Capuchins from my order from Poland. And Pope St. John Paul II, I mentioned, canonized them as a group. And we call them the martyrs of Auschwitz. But a group of them did survive the war, and they were in Rome with our my novice master, Father Bob McCurry, who's a very saintly man, when he was finishing his doctoral degree in Rome in the late 1950s, and they were telling him the story of what happened at the camp, and the Nazi doctor, Joseph Mengele, was performing medical experiments on them. 
and it was essentially torture. And uh, it, when they described it, you know, Father McCurry said to them, "How how is it that you're even sane, let alone alive?" Mm-hmm. You know, and they told him that one of the Nazi guards used to bring them a little thimbleful of wine every day. And because he knew they were priests and they would, from memory, celebrate Mass. And they said they just clung to the Eucharist and they maintained their dignity because of the, the Eucharist. Because they knew that if they gave in to the resentment that was justified over the injustice of their situation, that they, it would just destroy them emotionally, psychologically, but, you know, that they would just have not just their body, they would have their souls. And we weren't willing to surrender our souls. So he said, we, he said they told to him that we clung to the Eucharist, and that's how we maintained our, our dignity, uh, not identifying with our Lord's own passion and resurrection. And they also learned then, you know, that forgiveness is not about approving of somebody's crime or bad behavior. It's in psychological terms, we would call it codependency or denial. And that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness doesn't minimize the crime that's committed. It just says that I'm not going to return in kind the evil done to me. In their their case, they had no power. So they they couldn't even do anything against their captors. They would have just been killed outright, you know. So they, they realized that. So it, it wasn't even possible to retaliate, but they, but they also learned that forgiveness wasn't approving of the crime, but that it's, uh, it was, uh, they, they would, in the mass, they would also pray for their captors. Mm-hmm. The, they learned this message that our Lord taught us from the cross, that while he was unjustly tried and beaten and, and uh, nailed to a cross, and he's hanging there and they're mocking him, taunting him, you know, and he could have destroyed them. I and mean, this is God hanging from the cross. God the Father could have destroyed us for for what we had tried to do to his son. But they, they, he exercised the virtue of meekness, power held in reserve for the sake of another. In our Lord's case, divine meekness, divine restraint, or God the Father, divine restraint over the injustice that was being done to the son. So even though he's being provoked and aggravated, he chose not to resist. He chose not to destroy, even justly, that we deserved it. So I say, even if we've only ever committed even one mortal sin, we deserve that death. You know, we reserve that retribution. But our Lord took all those sins yes, to the cross, yes, and they were nailed yes, there with him. Yes, and he, yes, the, yes, in yes. his meekness, he resisted. And then he prayed for us from the cross. Yes, so that's did. the model of forgiveness. Yes. That our Lord didn't do that because we deserved it or earned it or asked for it, but because we needed it. And it, in, in, the, in the goodness of God mm-hmm. is shown forth mm-hmm. in this, this great, profound sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And that's what the, these friars came to understand. And I remember in that, too, you said forgiveness is different than reconciliation, you know, that they can offer forgiveness. But I think this is really important because we talked a lot, Dr. Ann Valerie White, Dr. Angela Miller, they did a segment where we talked a lot about what we think in our minds, the patterns. And I shared in the opening, the Bible says, take all thoughts captive in the obedience of Jesus Christ. For a lot of us coming out of COVID, the grief, the temperature of our country right now, this can be really hard to be at peace. And that's something, Linda, that you touched on in your bereavement session. You are a bereavement pastor at your church. And Father's talking about forgiveness even when in the most dark and unbelievable kind of circumstances. So maybe you could touch a little bit more on that and how they replace those thoughts of injustice with the Eucharist and the source of their joy, the source of their peace and the source of their love. 
I, I want to piggyback on something Father said. He said, and, and this is a quote, unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. And I know you've heard that. So, so who gets hurt? But this whole thing about peace is, it has to be something that you want. It's given to you, but you have to want it. You have to exercise it just like any muscle in your body. And you have to practice it daily. And you speak to God. God, give me the peace, it says in Philippians 4, that surpasses all understanding. That even in the midst of the worst situations that is bad for you, that you walk through it because God gives you peace that surpasses all understanding. And then if you keep going in that scripture, he gives you some steps. He said, not only will I give you peace surpasses understanding and guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, but he says that you need to be praying, confessing. All of those steps that we need in order to maintain. And you got to know when your peace is tilted, when you're losing it. You got to know when you're involving yourself with people, things, the TV, the radio that begin to, 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 to grade and take away your peace. You got to know it and you have to fight to maintain it. And I think it's okay to say, Father, let this cup pass from me if we are in a trial that we feel like we can't bear. But this is what, as Christians, the stake, the share that we have accepted. And you said, I have given my yes and I have taken the whoopings that come from saying yes. yes. Can you explain what you meant when you said that? Well, you know, I thought about my life since I was eight years old. I have lived for Jesus. And along the path, I have been misunderstood, mistreated, not liked, uh, ostracized because I don't go to the parties. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't do anything. All I knew was Jesus. My father was an alcoholic. My mother was passive. My father beat us. Uh, It was a rough childhood. Sexually abused, a lot of trauma and all of that. I grew up. I never understood, God, why I got to go through all of this? But see, God prepares you. And even today, when I did Hope Live and I talked about being filled up so you can pour out of yourself, God fills us so we can pour out. But there are some steps, some character that has to be built, some perseverance that has to come as you grow. So I realize that everybody's not called to walk this walk. Right, Father? Everybody's not called to walk this walk. But I know that it's my walk. And so I say yes. And I and you say, well, I mean, we're all called to live yes. out, our vocation, to live but, our vocation, but your vocation, you're right. saying, right? I'm saying my vocation yeah, as a pastor to. to deal with bereaving women and men, um, um, to deal with women who've dealt and have husbands who've had affairs, d- deep, deep things. And God's given me a gift to help them navigate that. So no, everybody has a call. Let me be clear. And there is something that you need to be get, doing. Maybe I told him today, maybe you cook. There are a lot, a lot of homeless people and there are a lot of seniors who don't want mobile meals because it's processed food. Maybe you could cook some meals and drop them off. There's something to be done that will help push you towards where God's calling you. So, but don't think it's going to be easy. As soon as you step into it, something's going to happen that's going to make you want to go back to your comfort zone. But God's called us not to be comfortable. 
We're yeah. not supposed to be comfortable, Father. Mm-hmm. That's we're part of the deal. So disillusioned. Well, as a Franciscan, you know this, and, and you live this, and maybe you can talk a little bit about the examples of the saints because they are our mentors, and we see the ways that they have lived their faith and suffered and used that. Taking a quick break to thank our sponsor, Select International Tours. In 1633, the villagers of Oberammergau asked God to save them from the Black Plague and committed to performing a passion play every 10 years, beginning in the year 1634. Think of it, the 17th century, and that promise has been kept for over 400 years, has only been postponed during times of war until 2020, of course, when COVID hit and forced a two-year postponement. When the event resumes next year, we will be there. And Father John Michael Paul and I invite you to come along with us as we pilgrimage to this picturesque Bavarian village among the stunning Amargau Alps. Not only will you experience the iconic Passion Play, but we will visit Munich and Paris in Lourdes, France. The dates next June 7th through the 18th, so not this year, but 2022. And this trip is all-inclusive, every last detail considered, and that includes the limited and hard-to-come-by tickets to the Passion Play. But again, space is limited. So check out my page on the website for all the information you need. Selectinternationaltours.com slash BTS. That's for Brooke Taylor Show. That's selectinternationaltours.com slash BTS. And there you can find out about our trips to the Holy Land, one coming up at the end of this year, as well as next year, and the amazing trip to Oberammergau, Germany to find out more. Right. In fact, uh, I've been at the end of a series of seven weeks of parish missions all over the country so this is Easter week now so I just finished seven parish missions in a row um, and I in the mission that I've been preaching uh, is really on how that the 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 church has gone through five major crises. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said that there's been five deaths in the history of the church. They say historians say every 500 years there's a major crisis, right? The the Arian crisis uh, is the first one. Then you have the split with the Orthodox and the Protestant issue in the 16th century, and then whatever we're going through now. Right. But he also pointed out what was going on in the 13th century when Saint Francis of Assisi was alive, and when when Chesterton was converting to uh, Catholicism in 1922, he realized that when he looked at history and he saw these very dark moments in history uh, for the world, for the church, he said there was something that happened. And it wasn't the election of a pope, the calling of an ecumenical council, the issuing of documents. God raised up saints. And in these really dark moments, these holy people who really live the, the, the example of the gospel, uh, they poured a kind of medicine through the charism of their lives on the wounds of the body of Christ, and it began to heal. And so you see the, this pattern of reform and renewal and then, you know, dissipation and decline. But the, the periods of renewal always came through saintly people. And I'm convinced that we're living through one of those periods, mm-hmm. that, they, that these people, 
people are beginning to appear, these saintly people. They were, they, this is the time when saints are made like this. But anyway, Chesterton said that it's the paradox of history that every generation is converted by the saint that most contradicts it. And he said, he looked at the life of St. Francis of Assisi in the 13th century and how his, the humility of his humility and his uh, um, holiness was the medicine necessary to turn things around at that very dark moment in the 13th century. And then, so I also then now talk about in the mission, to sons, very famous modern sons of St. Francis, St. Padre Pio, who everybody seems to know, and Blessed Solanus Casey the American, who was just beatified in 2017. And uh, not only because of their uh, incredible supernatural gifts, but because of their amazing ability to bring people in this very cynical age when people have said, well, I'm spiritual but not religious, you know, and they've given up on church, they've given up on any kind of, quote, organized religion, you know, and and yet these two very saintly souls are bringing people back to God and to faith. Saint, the, Padre, the shrine of Padre Pio in southern Italy is the largest visited shrine that's not dedicated to the Blessed Mother in the world. Uh, so over seven, almost seven million visitors a year there. There was a half a million people at his canonization. I was at uh, Solanus Casey's beatification in Detroit in 2017, and there were 72,000 people at Ford Field. And the Archbishop said he could have filled that stadium three times. He had to cut off registration for the Mass. And even to this day, there's just countless people being brought back to God through the, these very simple but holy souls. And there's so many others. We think of St. Faustina, especially on this day of the Divine Mercy. How many people have been touched by her diary and the witness of her life. So it's really the saints are always the impetus for renewal in, in, uh, in the church, in the world. And it's, you know, that the, the world is not going to renew the church. It's going to be the church that's going to renew the world. You know, Christians have to that's animate... Right. That's right. When St. Paul talked about freedom from the law, you know, he wasn't talking about the, the, the license to violate the law. Mm-hmm. You know, in other, for example, if, uh, if there's a law that says you, you may not injure your spouse, and if you physically injure your spouse, you know, you're going to be arrested and there's going to be punishment for that, right? But if you love your spouse, mm-hmm. if you love your spouse, you don't need the civil law because you're, you're functioning, you're, what's guiding you is something deeper, more profound. The civil law is fully intact, but for you, because you love your spouse, it's just not necessary. And for Christians, that's that's the model of freedom from the law, that we're freed from the, the minimal observance of, of law because we, we observe something that's more profound, that animates that civil law, and without it, we're only left to legalism. Right. And I mean, you go to, if you go down to family court someday, you can see that things that people are now bringing to lawyers and judges, they used to bring to their clergy and to their families. And so because uh, people are say, well, now the only thing that's going to guide my behavior is going to be the civil law. Wow. The founders of our country never intended wow. for the civil law to replace a sacred writ. They have, you know, you look at the fathers of the church and Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and even Washington himself, who made all comments that if the republic will not survive unless people are uh, have a deeper, more profound uh, observance of religion. 
and yet uh, that's the very thing that's uh, the state we're now we're making the state they didn't want a state church now we're making the state into a church and I think Christians ourselves have to look at ourselves. Are we? What are we making idols of? Could it be COVID? Is it the news? And we have to take captive our our eyes, our ear, the ear gate, the eye gate. And so it really is, Linda. You talked about we we really have to put our battle ready cloak on and and recognize that because we are in such a wonderful time for renewal and revival and it is happening. We are seeing I think we saw it this weekend and you kept talking about hope. I know we're already getting short on time. This is what I find is so challenging about the Arise Retreat is every woman could sit down and and do a show and share her story and impart wisdom. But maybe if you could offer a word of hope from what you witnessed this weekend. This is the first time we've been able to do this retreat. It got pushed back. A lot of people still aren't gathering. I feel renewed by it, though, in the importance oh, of it. I, I, you know, this has been a godsend for me. Even though I'm pouring out, I've been blessed. I say to people, you have got to trust God. That's your ultimate. And your hope has to be in him, not in man. And if you know, I told you that God said for me to go back to church, I went back to church. I didn't put my faith in them taking my temperature. I put my faith in God because that's who I answer to. What I saw was women who would not write a letter three years ago wrote letters this time. So that's I, one of your assignments in yes. your in our grief workshop. In our, in our yeah. grief workshop. Yeah. So I saw eyes that came in dim that water started coming out of and now they're bright. It's almost like I use the word exfoliating. It's like dead skin coming off that they have just been holding on to. I saw women that wouldn't talk. Now they're gathering. Now they don't want to go home. They want to stay another day. So that's what you're going to get. Can we do one more day, Brooke? <laughs> well, hey, didn't have to do dishes for three days. I know that's right. Somebody else got to cook. That's what I like. So it, it you had to be here it was a moment. It is a movement. Thank you. Yeah. Amen. See? <laughs> Joy is contagious. And you, and it you is. Because yes. you, you, you stop and you yeah. take the next step and you get on the other side and you say, wow, wasn't that hard? That's what I said. We give up too soon. We, we give up too soon. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Instead of pushing through and know that God's over there. He got you, Father. <laughs> he got you. Wherever you're going, you too. And you too. We got other people in the audience. In here. <laughs> <laughs> but Father, for you, in your position as in the confraternity of Christian mothers traveling throughout the world, you talked about the growth in Africa and you have been to the mission in in New Guinea and you travel all over. What maybe can you offer? This primarily was a retreat made of moms, but we had we had uh, religious here. We had a consecrated virgin here. We have young women here. For many of us, uh, the cloister is our home or you know the small community that we're in. Any words of encouragement, either that you observed through the course of this weekend or that you might be able to impart into our heart? Well, I was happy to talk about the Confraternity Christian Mothers, which women started. It was the first modern 
women's movement in the church. It started in 1850 after the French Revolution because Catholic moms, the, 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 the faith was made illegal by the state. And so these moms got together in a, in a Congress, women's Congress, not unlike a gathering like this. You know, how can we, with all the opposition we're facing in the culture, how, how can we, what, what they were concerned on a practical level as mothers was preserving the faith for their children and their families. And so they came up with a, they designed a, a beautiful program of both a devotional, spiritual, daily spiritual renewal that's done mo mostly in the home. And then they get together once a month to support each other. They attend mass together and the parish priest gives a little talk to them. And then, uh, but it's mostly something that happens at home. And there's a, they designed a beautiful devotional book called Mother Love that I was able to share with the women. But as, as you said, it's a, it's international organization. It has been from the beginning. And uh, I was vi able to visit the women in Nigeria last uh, year. They had their 2021, they had their 100th anniversary. Literally thousands and thousands of members in Nigeria. But it's, they, they have a special devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows and the, the chaplet of Our Lady of Sorrows. And uh, she's the, the, the Pieta is the patroness of the, she's the icon of the order. But they're, they're in Zambia, in, now in Tanzania. And we better be catching up here in the United States. I know that it's growing here too. It is. But we started over 20 new ones just in the United States last year. Okay, good. So do we go to the main website? If you just look up Christian Mothers Pittsburgh, you'll find it. We'd be happy to help start uh, confraternities wherever. But I think this is a good time for that because when we first gathered, I, I shared a little bit personally of my own story of having a friend wound. You hear of the father wound and just having complicated relationships with women over the years on both ends. I've hurt them. They've hurt me. And your guard is up. And for women coming in, it's so important that we recognize what our head thoughts are. Going back to that conversation about the thoughts, what God has called us to do, how to be vulnerable, how to trust, because there's a lot of pain among women, even in the church. But this weekend is a reminder to me anew. Nothing's going to be perfect until heaven. That like Sherpas when you climb Mount Everest, you have these custom guides that know and you're roped together at times if you need to be. And that spiritual Sherpas, we need sisters in Christ, truly godly women. And I think that's what's so beautiful about the confraternity of Christian mothers, spiritual maternity as well for all women that we do need each other now more than ever. So thank you both. I know that we are waiting to get ice cream. So on that note, no, I'm trying to finish this salad. I'm sorry. I'm focused on this food over here. I'm sorry. I caught parts of the interview. You're thinking, hey, we're just talking about taking thoughts captive. Right. The salad's got it. you. I know it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Linda. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you again to Father Joseph Tuscan, to Linda Isaiah, all of our speakers at the Arise Women's Retreat, the entire Arise team who works tirelessly. We have been working, praying, preparing for this event for over two years. And of course, for every woman who joined us on retreat. And also a big thanks to my producer, Mark for his dynamic skills and quick work in making this episode possible. Mark is a producer extraordinaire, so for any audio video needs you may have, check him out at cominghomestudio.com. Until next time, friends, God bless you. My name is Brooke Taylor. Peace and love.